Hello, and welcome to another edition of Modest Conversations. I'm your host, Sam Lesson, and today I'm here with my very dear friend and Finn co-founder, Andrew Cortina. Cortina, it's great to have you on the show. It's great to be here for the first time. Yeah. Um, so as, as you hopefully know, the point of Modest Conversations is to have modest conversations. What's been on your mind recently? Um, to, to get ready for this, uh, I was looking through my list of absurd curveballs, which is the list of topics I go to when a conversation that I'm in gets a little dull and just has a bunch of ridiculous theses that I like to throw out there. Um, so one of them came from this conversation I had with this guy, Vinky, who was saying, he was arguing that it is discriminatory against people who are unable or just just not desiring of having children that they cannot take off three months paid leave every nine months. Um, basically he, his, his argument was that everyone should get maternity slash paternity leave, even if they're not having a kid, um, which I thought was like a pretty interesting idea. Um, Cranking one out every every nine months is a little intense, but I think thematically, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I get the, I get the yeah. theoretical argument. Yeah, I think the the short reason why this doesn't exist is there's no hard link between GDP going up and people taking off three months and not having a baby, and there is a hard link between having more babies in the country and GDP going up. Um, that's that's one argument. I think it's a, a little abstract because I think the other way to think about it is like. You just, from the other angle, it's like you want, obviously, to be able to employ people who want to have kids. Yes. Right? And I think that the GDP link might be true, but I think it's a little abstract. I think it's like more practically just... Well, there, the GDP link is possibly why there are government laws around this stuff. Fair. Fair. The, all the sort of like non-government compensation towards this stuff, I would agree, is like competitive for employers. Um, and so sort of my, my uh, proposed thesis that came out of this with is that um, in a capitalist society, it's up to the proletariat to drive moral and social change because the bourgeoisie are just slaves to efficiency. And so like in a case like this, the, the bourgeoisie are the people that own the corporations. They're never going to just like, you know, decide maternity leave and paternity leave are a good thing and enact it. They'll do it in response to labor demanding it. Yeah, although either a labor demanding it or just the competitive nature of attracting talent, right? I mean, I think that's the other way. Well, that's that, another way of labor demanding. Yeah, right? that's By fair. Like, that's fair. You know, voting with their feet. Yeah, and I guess that's an interesting thing when you think about the the difference between those two concepts: labor demanding it versus competitive requirements. Is the competitive component works pretty well in really tight labor markets, yeah. right? Uh, for specific jobs. So, like, you look at like benefits around Silicon Valley engineers, for instance. You can imagine how that happens. Whereas the broad-based proletariat getting these things or demanding them, um, there's much less competition, right? And mm -hmm. therefore, it's much harder for them to drive the change. Which is why it's kind of remarkable that somebody like Starbucks has such good benefits. Because yeah. presumably, there's not intense amount of com com uh, not, competition for Starbucks. I'm not sure that's true, though, if you think about it. I mean, I could be wrong about this, but if I were Starbucks, and I'm not, and I haven't read much about it, I assume there's a pretty clear calculation, which is if you have certain profile on the wage side that you're competing that you're competing around, and you do want a certain quality of, of workers, 
I wonder how, like, that actually might be a fairly tight market, right, in terms of getting the types of people they'd want in. And I bet there's a really easy calculation you can do of comp versus benefits, which basically says there's a class of people who value the benefits in excess of the cash, right? And that their efficiency of delivering benefits is better than the efficiency of cash for them. Totally. Right. There's an interesting question, though, because I think, like, so the question almost is, is like, actually, when you look at all these companies, like, are the companies that offer the best benefits purely doing it out of a competitive drive for people or arbitrage? Arbitrage. Is, is it just right. an arbitrage? And I guess there's a, you, you pointed me at a book once, the, uh, the great Let My People Go Surfing. Yes. Right. Um, and I just read Phil Knight's biography about Nike. I think there are these like mission driven, culture driven organizations, which don't really follow these rules mm-hmm. so exactly. But then I wonder even then, like, how much of that is about attracting the people that create the brand, yes, <laughs> right? for sure. That then is what you sell. Like, you're selling in, in a Nike or a Patagonia image as much as anything else. Or people with a certain set of values, right? Because right. people that value, this, like, a certain benefit over direct kind of, like, cash compensation, you're selecting for a certain type of person. Yeah. Right? Like, that, that bias means something more than just that bias, probably. Yeah. I wonder, I mean, how does this relate? Talk about talking out of school, things I'm not that deep on. Like, how do you think about this in terms of like movements like fair trade coffee or organic or like, you know, um, I don't know. Like there's a bunch of things that also proxy these types of ideas where in some ways you can talk about benefits competitively. Um, you can talk about benefits that are driven by a society or you can talk about benefits that are driven from a consumer standpoint. Right. I don't know enough about fair trade coffee. The one that, that brings to mind that I think is kind of all marketing machine is the like Tom shoes, buy a pair of shoes from us and we'll donate a pair of shoes somewhere else. Yeah. And spinning that as we're this incredible social justice company. Seem, I, I, I find most of this, um, most of these sort of nonprofit or like social mission driven company, particularly when it has like, a very sort of ancillary relationships with actual product that's being sold. It's just all like marketing chain. Like I, I think, yeah. so I think the, Whole Foods is, a, for example, a much more mission driven company than, uh, than like Tom shoes because Whole Foods, their mission is like, they're carrying a healthy product and they're like not going to carry certain unhealthy products because they just don't think it's good for people. Yeah. That's like a much more like direct way to like do social good. I think where it's, baked into the actual business and product itself for something like Tom's where they're just like, Oh, by the way, we're great people. And we're going to like donate something every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I find that frustrating also about, and I think I'm not sure if Whole Foods does this, but there's a great South Park episode that implies it does (laughs) where the, like the checkout donation thing where you're like, that can't be the most efficient right like a way to give money. And it's, it's tough. It's almost like that. I guess maybe an argument against these, modern uh the obsession with double bottom line companies right where they have like some sort of social mission that's separate from their financial mission and like can you really be good at multiple things are those things really the most efficient way to deliver each um you know it's an interesting question and again i'm a little bit out of my depth but i do think it's 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 pretty interesting when you think about what's going on with wages and benefits in the microcosm, which is this hyper-competitive Silicon Valley versus, you know, where that's coming from in a more broad-based perspective versus how it all stacks up as driven by consumers versus, you know, employees, right? Which are kind of the key constituent holders in these things. 
Cause I get your yes. point, which is that ultimately the owners of capital, um, I mean, this is unfortunately, I guess the Donald Trump version of the world, which is like, I had an obligation to pay as low taxes as possible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Same argument. Um, yes. the, yeah, the, I wonder if, I wonder, like, how much, to what extent this sort of uh, finding value in other things rather than just sort of like low prices or high wages on the flip side is related to people kind of like not not um, going to things like religion as much for a source of meaning in their lives, and then like trying to find meaning in other things, mm -hmm. and like in a capitalist society, it, it could be like okay, we're going to reject just sort of like the dollar signs and assign meaning to something else, like a certain benefit or like feel good and meaningful about being a consumer because Tom's is telling us they're doing some good thing for the world. Like it, it seems like that may be sort of like a tightly coupled, uh, possibly source of causality there. Yeah. No, it is interesting where you kind of look more and more, um, Especially, I'd argue, in, in you know, when you think about a company or a community as providing a lot of the functions of a community historically, right? Um, where it used to be kind of just a one in a many situation. I think there's like kind of a, a tendency in certain, especially high pressure startup situations to like, you know, and at scale, frankly, when those things grow up, to think of them as like an all encompassing unit. I think that actually might be honestly also part of the story. I wonder if you, you agree with this or not about. You know, things like Uber, right? Where you take a company, right, that's been very publicly, um, you know, from a social and political standpoint, not, um, let's say, in vogue these days. And like, I mean, how much, how much pent up energy is there for them to provide all things versus deliver just the service they're delivering, right? Like culture, brand, mission, you know, how is, do these big companies become things that like, Frank, frankly, are being asked to deliver more than they were historically in all walks of life. To, do you mean more to the to the employees or to the consumers buying the services? I think kind of both. Yeah. Right. Like, right. where it's just like because they become these like super nodes effectively. Right. They have like, to say we're going to revolutionize trans. I was just looking at their mission. It's like we're going to revolutionize transportation and the way cities work or something. Right. Right. Which is like. Probably a lot more compelling and attractive to a potential employee than we're ride sharing service. For sure. And they have to have, like, they basically take responsibility for both these big, uh, like, building missions. And then that, that kind of inherits this, like, social and political responsibilities as well. Whereas, like, I just am not sure that if you unwound the clock 50 years, companies alone were basically set up to be so responsible for so many different aspects of, you know, growth and belief and things like that. Like, yeah. I could be wrong about this, but I assume that if you unwind a bunch of years, people just didn't expect, you know, the big companies they worked for or, or the small companies they worked for to be so explicitly mission-driven, yes. right? And for those missions to be, for them to have political stances, for them to have all these things versus just be like a company that does a thing that people value enough to pay for in a capitalist society, yes. right? Like, it's, it's a lot of pressure being heaped on these big companies. Yeah, for um, sure. Yeah, so that you know, they're they're people. You know, if you look at the percentage, probably fewer are finding meaning uh, in religious uh, groups. Yeah, probably fewer are finding meaning in like their country, yep. or, like missions of the kind. Like you know, you, you have the space program to get excited about. 
the yeah. back. And, and like, being an American and contributing to that mission, right? Or yeah, without in in the absence of that, I think it becomes even more pressing to kind of search for meaning somewhere. Like you're you're probably not finding any sort of deep meaning in politics today. Yeah. Uh, or, so, you know, you may have, like, a, a social justice cause that you're <laughs> really excited about today as, like, another source of, of meaning that's replacing those sort of, like, old generations, a couple generations ago sources. Yeah. No, it is interesting how, how wound up identity and mission and, frankly, to bring it full circle, like, benefits and where you expect to get those benefits all come. It, it really is kind of this feels like we're moving towards this corporatist future that I feel like was, you know, one of the options in Civ. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I, it's. I'm not. You know, I, I I don't think it's all wrong necessarily. But like, if you if you ask me to bet on who who has a better chance of solving a lot of healthcare problems in the country or affecting more people's you know nutrition, is it going to be the government or is it going to be a company like Chipotle or Whole Foods that actually has um, a greater positive effect on the lives of more people. I would probably bet on corporations to do a lot of it. I think that, you know, I'm not saying you know, I'm not like a libertarian that would say like, there's no role for government to play anymore. Or do you think, you know, as corporations do more and more, it's like regulating them is something that government needs to do, but right. Solving that, social problems. I'm just, but, I've yeah. lost a lot of confidence in the government's ability to do that. Yeah. But that brings it back to the question, I mean, when you talk about the government and things like that, like this whole question of like the will of the proletariat versus the, the owners of capital, right? And yeah. like how that gets expressed efficiently, um, you know, where these mandates come from, et cetera. And, you know, these concepts of fairness to bring it full circle to this question of, you know, what benefits come why, from what and how are they being driven? Because you're right. In the end of the day, it's like, I mean, I just came off of a month-long fraternity leave right and definitely been adjusting my hours to accommodate my family in certain ways and like it's um but i think that's cool and like i, I think it would, like it's kind of a cool rhythm too if people could take that time to go work on an art project like totally. it's certainly it no makes, I, I agree i mean it makes like, predicting and planning as a corporation a lot harder but yeah. I don't know, if we are if we are gaining leverage and efficiency out of technology giving people that flexibility seems like a Great way to spend it. I agree. And I actually think if I could pick that or the French model, right, as like how you distribute the time of not working, yeah. this seems, it would seem better to let people have big chunks to do a concerted project versus being like, look, you just have to work fewer hours every month. Right. Like sabbatical. Then. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Well, this was a fun conversation. This was pretty heady. <laughs> yeah, definitely we'll do it again soon yeah i'm done thanks for joining cortina thanks for having me on <laughs>